0: Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at Roundrockchurch.s. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. Amen. Well, good morning, church. It's a real joy to be with you. As he mentioned, my name is Rick. Uh, I grew up most of my life in Texas. I went to ACU. I preached 11 years at a church there called Southern Hills, and I've been the last 32 years at the church in Fort Worth called The Hills. Would love for you to visit sometime if you're ever in the Metroplex. First thing I want to do is say, uh, I hope you appreciate uh, what a gift you have in Zayn, Carolina. I know 12 churches right now looking for preachers. It is hard to find a good preacher, especially a good young preacher. You have found one. Take good care of them and treat them well and keep them a long, long time. I can remember when I was Zane's age, preaching in Abilene. I can remember the little old ladies that would come up and say, I want you to meet our cute little preacher. (laughs) And that wasn't as bad as, oh, and Rick, that was just a darling sermon. You know, (laughs) nobody says that anymore. I can remember being in my 20s and I could just play basketball all night, get up the next day and go. And then I remember being in my 30s, and I could play basketball all night, but I'd get up the next day, and I was sore. <laughs> and then I remember being in my 40s, and I'd wake up in the morning, and I was sore. And I didn't do anything last night. <laughs> and now I've officially reached the age where I can hurt myself going to sleep. Some of you know what I'm talking about? I can wake up in the morning, maybe, maybe my neck is sore. I must have slept wrong. How pitiful is that? I can hurt myself getting in bed. But I still love preaching. I still love being active. In fact, here's the truth. Uh, I shouldn't be here right now. Uh, I was supposed to be in Israel. Uh, The elders gave me a gift to go, and uh, I've never been before, never been to the Holy Land. Well, that's not totally true. (laughs) I've been to Scotland, and that's my Holy Land. That's where you play golf, and I'm a big golfer, and I'll tell you about that in a moment. But my trip got canceled, and and Zane called, and, and so I'm delighted I get to be here with you today. Now, as I mentioned, I love to play golf. I'm not a particularly good golfer, but you don't have to be good to be addicted to the game. And I had the thrill of a lifetime back in 2006. I have a member of my church who was the chief producer for golf for CBS Sports. If you ever watched the Masters for 30 years, every moment you watched, he was the producer. And he got me a chance to play in the Pro-Am. We have a professional golf tournament in Fort Worth called the Colonial. Now, if you don't know much about golf, uh, on the day before the tournament starts, The best golfers get to play with amateurs who, you know, get to pay money to play with them. It's a fundraising thing. I could never afford it. But CBS gave me one of their spots and it was so cool. Here I am behind the ropes on the inside, people watching me play golf with professional golfers. My only fear was this. There's a particular shot in golf I'm not very good at. It. It's called the sand shot, the bunker shot. And frankly, I ought to be. As much golf as I play, I should be good at that shot. It's just totally mental. I have all these memories of being bad at it, and i assume I'm going to be bad at it. And that's usually what happens. So my prayer was simple. Lord, just don't let me go in a bunker. And the Lord was good and heard my prayer and answered it for six holes. <laughs> On the seventh hole, I hit my approach shot into this bunker that was so deep that when I got down in it, all I could see was the top of the flagstip. There's about 200 people in the stands about to watch me do the one thing in golf I absolutely stink at. So I thought, okay, I'm just going to swing one time, totally fail, pick up my ball and walk in shame to the next toe. I swung, the ball took off, I heard a clank, people roared and stood up. I knocked the ball in the hole on the fly. I have never done that in my life. And so what did I do? Did I shrug my shoulders and sheepishly grin and say, boy, that was lucky? Are you kidding me? I strutted up to that green light. Well, of course I went in the hole. That's where I was aiming. (laughs) Because everybody was applauding. And applause is so captivating. And before you know it, applause can take you captive. And when you live acceptance and the applause of the crowd you wind up living in a very crowded prison so let me genius behind this sermon one year for easter i did a message on jesus raising lazarus from the dead and jesus walked to the tomb and he said roll the stone away and that's a word of hope he said lazarus come out that's a word of power and life That's not the last thing he said. The last thing he said was, take the grave clothes off him. And that's a word of freedom. And I asked my church this question. Is it possible that you have experienced salvation? You have received new resurrection life in Jesus and you're not enjoying it because you are still living in the grave clothes of your old life. And here's what I did. I said to my church, I said, would you put down on a card An area of your life where you feel like you're living in bondage. You're not enjoying the freedom you should have in Christ. And I got several thousand cards. And I read every one of them. And I said, I'm going to figure out what are the chief areas of bondage people in my church struggle with. I'm going to preach about those. There were five areas that came up far more than any others where people just like you, people that believe in Jesus, Admit, I live in bondage. Area number five was anger and bitterness. So many people that said, I was so deeply hurt by something in my past, I carry that pain in the, in the uh, form of hard attitudes and not present. Area number four was financial bondage. And I'm not just talking about debt. Oh, that was big. A lot of it was just, that's how I medicate. That's how I cope with pain. I go and buy things. Area number three was sexual sin. Particularly men. Particularly pornography. It is an absolute pandemic in our churches. Area number two, I thought would have been number one. Fear and worry. And so many people said, I am so scared of what's going to happen next to my country, to my family, to my church, that I can't enjoy today. But that wasn't number one. The number one area of bondage named by my church more than any other, I didn't anticipate it, showed up in different ways, but it was basically... I'm tired of living in the prison of trying to please people. I'm tired of living in a world where I am constantly trying to perform. Trying to keep people happy. I'm tired of living. I'm in bondage to other people's opinion of me. Now, the Bible calls this the fear of man. It's the fear may be listed more than any other in the Bible. And when you read that phrase in the Bible, the fear of man, it's not talking about being afraid that somebody's going to physically harm you. It's talking about living in the constant fear of the approval of others. Proverbs 29, 25 says, Fear of man will prove to be a trap. Another version says, Fearing people is a dangerous snare. Being afraid of people can get you into trouble. You cannot live free. Let me say that again. Jesus, when He spoke life into you, when He forgave you of your sins, when He poured His Spirit of you, He didn't just say, come out of the tomb. He said, take the grave clothes off. Stop letting your new life in Christ be inhibited To the old crabe crows. You can't live free. As long as you're letting other people decide. Who you will be. People pleasing is bondage. But who hasn't felt that shame? You see everybody struggles. With what I call approval addiction. We all have this overwhelming desire to be accepted by others or to put it another way we really like to be liked we really like to see how many likes we got today in fact the desire to be liked typically overwhelms our desire to be right Let me illustrate. There was a very famous study done at a university some years ago where they brought students into a room, 10 at a time. These are first graders up through seniors in high school. Very simple test. A a person would walk in and draw three lines on a board. One of the lines was very long, one was medium length, and one was very short. And here was the test. Raise your hand when the teacher points to the longest line. How simple. Here's what the students didn't know. The nine had been told, raise your hand at the second longest line. They were testing what the 10th student would do. So the teacher pointed to the clearly longest line. But the nine had been told, don't raise your hand except the second line. So the teacher would point to the clearly longest line. And that 10th student who didn't know would hold up their hand. And then look around the room. Nobody else has their hand up. 75% of the time, pull the hand back down. Now we're talking first graders all the way to seniors in high school. They would rather be clearly, knowingly wrong if that's what it took to be accepted. That is the power of approval addiction. And it comes at a high price. The pressure to conform our values, to go against what we really think is right because no one else does. The unwillingness to risk intimacy. Am I really going to let you know who I am if I'm afraid you're going to push away? The eroding self-esteem. How can I feel good about myself when I know deep down I'm faking most of the time so I can get accepted? Think about it. So many of our what-was-I-thinking moments were driven by our desire to have other people think well of us. Why did you laugh at that joke? It was racist, and it was sexist. But all the other guys in the locker room laughed. You didn't want to stand out, so you laughed too. I can't tell you how many times I have talked with a young woman who woke up in the morning in the bed of a man she doesn't even like. But it was so critical the night before to believe that somebody wanted her. So many of our what was I thinking moments go back to that sick desire to satisfy our approval addiction. And by the way, um, if I'm trying t- to get the speck of sawdust out of your eye, it's because I know I've got a log in mine. I'm a revering approval addict. By the way, most ministers are. Sorry, Zane. But most of us who get into ministry do so because we like people. And we like to be liked. I learned this about myself at a very early age. I was in third grade, and my rep in my class was I was the smart kid. Now, I don't know if that was true, if I was the smartest kid in class. It didn't matter. That was my rep. Now, that put me on the cool ladder. Not very high, but not at the bottom. At the bottom of the ladder in my class in third grade was a girl named Connie. Connie was socially awkward and she really struggled in school. I'll bet you anything, looking back now, she had a learning disability. But we didn't know much about that when I was in third grade. So we just called Connie the dumb girl. So our teacher did this uh, exercise when it was time to study math. She would hold up flashcards, you know, seven times eight. And we played this game where you would stand up next to someone else's desk And she would hold up the card, and whoever got the answer right first got to go to the next desk. And whoever went all the way around class and got back to their desk got a donut. I usually got the donut. I was the smart kid. So this day, the teacher said, Rick, we'll start with you. Pick someone in class to play the game. And all the cool kids that I wanted to impress they all looked at me, and they gave me the same stare. Don't pick me. So what am I going to do? And then all of a sudden I knew, I know what I can do. I can pick the one kid nobody will mind. I said, I picked Connie. And everybody laughed because they knew she had no chance, and she didn't. So I stood by her desk, and she stood up, and the teacher held up the card, and I had to answer before she could read it. And everybody laughed again. And Connie sat down. And then I looked in her face. I still remember this. And her eyes didn't say, I hate you. Her eyes said, why did you hurt me? I thought you were one of the nice boys. And I still remember that. In that moment, I remember thinking, my sick desire to be liked has turned me into somebody I don't like. Most of us struggle more being wimpy than being wicked. And where courage is absent, bondage is always present. Because here's the thing. Nobody wins the people-pleasing race. You're never going to find happiness trying to keep everybody happy. If you've entered the people-pleasing race, you're only running in circles inside of a prison. You can't escape because this race has no finish line. Because here's what I've learned. The crowd only applauds performance and appearance. Are you the prettiest And did you do the most? Did you make the most money? Did you win the most titles? Did you make the most tackles? Did you hit the most home runs? That's what they applaud. And I don't care how you do. There is somebody behind you that's going to pass you in that race someday. Uh, J.R. Vassar talks about being in Southeast Asia and he went to this famous temple where there was this giant Buddha. And he saw all these desperately, Poor people, putting the very last of their money in the treasury box, seeking a blessing from the Buddha. And you go around back and they're scaffolding because the Buddha statue is coming down. It's deteriorating. And you know how sad, broken people are praying to a broken Buddha who's asking them to fix their broken lives while the broken Buddha is getting fixed. And that's what we're doing. We're asking broken people to make us feel better about our own brokenness. And it's not worth it to enter a race where other people determine your worth. It's bondage. And it leads to significant spiritual damage. And here's why. Because in our Bible, over and over, you understand pleasing God often means you can't please everybody. Those who are used mightily by God in the Scripture are often people that received very little applause from the crowd at the time of their obedience. In fact, Paul put it like this in Galatians 1.10. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of others, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Free people live for an audience of one because there's only one whose measure Of your value brings freedom so what i want to share this morning in the time i have left is maybe the single most important thing god's ever taught me it's definitely the most important thing i've ever tried to teach young ministers okay you see somebody has already proved how much you're worth You will always live in bondage. You live your life constantly needing other people to give you a blessing. What if you lived your life from a blessing instead of for a blessing? What if worth was conferred on you before your performance or your appearance was ever judged by anybody else? Else. And this is what the scripture says, Ephesians 1, for long before he laid down earth's foundations, God had us in mind and he settled on us as the focus of his love. What if you learn to live life out of a blessing instead of constantly living life for someone else to give you a blessing? When you live in bondage to what other people think, you forfeit the blessing of knowing what God thinks. Here's the thing. Other people are not experts on your worth. Only God is. Now to illustrate that point, I brought a prop. I want y'all to meet Tim, one of the world's ugliest teddy bears. And I can say that because Tim is my teddy bear i have had tim longer than i can remember i just know he has always been a part of my life i don't know why he's named Tim. he's just because i named him tim and he's one ugly bear you can see up close his nose is bent his eyes don't move in the back is the stitching where mom has put the stuffing back in time and time again i'm a senior in high school my parents are going to be moving so they had decided to have a garage sale i come home from school And there in the garage is Tim laying on a table with a post-it note on his belly, 25 cents. I pick Tim up and I go find my mother and for the first time in my life, I call her to public repentance. And I make it clear to her that Tim is never to be sold to anyone at any time for any price. Because Tim's Value doesn't come from what you're willing to give for Him. His value comes from the one who owns Him and who loves Him and who still does. And so does yours. God doesn't just proclaim your worth. God has shown it. Scripture says that when you were still a sinner, God showed His great love by sending Christ to die for you. Now here's the thing. Right now, you are finding some way to decide what your worth is. You're either letting God tell you what you're worth, or you're desperately looking for other people to tell you what you're worth. When you become convinced that you matter to God, it will not matter what other people think. The love of God will crowd out the need to be applauded by a crowd. And when you know who you are, you will also know who you don't have to be. So other people will applaud. You can leave the prison of other people's expectations. And it is so liberating to be so conscious of the blessing and approval of God that nobody else can tell you how to live. Or who to love. Now here's why this matters. We're all headed to a big final. And there's two questions. Did you love God? And did you love people? And anybody freed by the love of God can love anybody. See, here's the thing. You can't be a lover and a pleaser. Because applause is always conditional. We never applaud people on the basis of grace. We make them earn it. But when you leave the prison of people pleasing, you are now free to give unearned, undeserved, unconditional love. What does the scripture say? Why do we love? Because He first loved us. You see, I am no longer loving you because of what I'm going to get back from you. I'm no longer doing anything for you because I need a blessing from you so I can feel good about myself. I am now loving you simply because I am overwhelmed with the love of God. I can love you out of my blessing and not for your blessing. Isn't that how Jesus lived? You ever thought about this? You know why Jesus could love everybody? Because he didn't care what anybody thought. Jesus, you can't go to his party. He's a tax collector. Jesus, you can't let her wash your feet. Jesus, well, she works on the street. He could. <laughs> Jesus could love everybody. Because he didn't care what anybody thought. He found his worth from what his father said about him and it's so life-changing to be that free oh i'm in high school now and like i said uh, i was never one of the cool kids and and another factor was uh, because of reasons i can't go into i had to start school early I was always the youngest kid in my class. At the end of my freshman year, some of my friends are getting cars. At the end of my sophomore year, all my friends have got their license. I start my junior year, I'm still not 16. Now that does not put you up very high on the cool ladder. But I wasn't at the bottom. At the bottom at my high school was a boy named Daryl. Daryl was the Connie of my high school. Daryl was socially awkward. (laughs) Daryl was, he was, he was a nerd. He literally had the taped glasses and the pocket protector with the pins in it. And high school was hell for Daryl. Imagine getting on the bus to go to school and every single morning before you ever even get to school, Your self-esteem has been shattered by things kids have said to you. That was Daryl. But here's what a lot of kids didn't know. (laughs) What Daryl got at school didn't compare to what he got at home. See, Daryl lived right up the street from me. And his father was an alcoholic and he was a mean man. More than once I can remember walking by the house and hearing his father screaming, at Daryl. That's probably not all he was doing. Well, anyway, finally, at some point during my junior year, I turned 16. And with the help of my father, I bought a $600 old Chevy. It wasn't much, but it doesn't matter. It's my car. I am going to drive to school. And instantly, I know I'm going to go up a little higher on the cool ladder. And the night before, we're at the table eating and there's a knock on the door. And I go open the front door. It's Daryl. Rick, is that your car? Yeah, it's my car. Are you going to drive to school in the morning? Yeah, I'm going to drive to school. Can I have a ride? Now, I'm not proud of this. But you already know immediately what I thought. Give Daryl a ride? I have waited so long to finally be a little bit cooler. And now I'm going to give a ride to the most unpopular boy in school? But I looked in Daryl's eyes and I realized, Daryl wasn't asking me for a ride. He was asking me for a rescue. Sure, Daryl, I'll give you a ride. And I did. Every day, for the rest of my junior year, I've gave Daryl a ride to school. You know what? I learned that Daryl was really a pretty nice guy. He's a little different, but he was a good guy. That next summer, I'm in the backyard. (laughs) I hear a noise, something belching its way up the alley of my neighborhood. And it's an old clunker of a car and it stops and Daryl gets out. Rick! I got a car! And I wanted you to be the first person to see it. Hmm. Um... I didn't know much back then about the Holy Spirit. All I can tell you in that moment, for the first time in my life, I felt the smile of God. Can you hear it? Listen. You know what it is? It's the applause of heaven. God is crazy about you. He loves you so much. If you could believe that and live tomorrow out of that, it would change how you treat everybody. And you would be so free. So, let me just close by praying a blessing over you. Would you just bow your head for a moment? Would you take a moment just in silence? Would you ask God just to help you receive His love? So Father, I pray over all these people in this room right now and all the people watching online because here's the truth. Probably at some point in our life we've all been Daryl or Connie. And probably at some point in our life we all treated somebody like Daryl or Connie. So we confess it, God. We need healing. We need to learn how to live out of your love We need to stop making idols out of the opinion of other people and just live to bless instead of trying to always get people to give us a blessing. And so, Father, right now, help us, please, just receive your love. Hear your applause. And wake up tomorrow morning ready to live like people who were loved. In Jesus' name, amen.